Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1232, recorded Sunday, December 13th, 2015. Hey, guess what? Carl and Richard coming at you for another hour of geekiness. Howdy, howdy, howdy. What's up, my friend? Uh, you know, but uh, this is a funny show because yeah. it's. Um, I think we as developers and the bulk of our audience think about smart home totally different from the rest of the world. Mm. And so, unlike many other shows where I think we're all on the same page, kind of, you know, we're, none of us are professionals in, in fusion power. Mm. There's so much software around the smart home and the smart home thinking that it's one of those schismy shows. We're mm. we're we're all think about it differently than most people do. Well, I hope we can appeal to the non-developers listening as well. I'm sure uh, we'll we will. try. I'm sure we will. It's just, you know, smart home automation has an added level of geekiness and yes. for us developers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh before we get started, I have something for you. You're you're going to like this, but you probably saw this already because you're Richard Campbell, but uh <laughs> <laughs> roll the music and I'll tell you what it's all about. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? By the way, first, a trivia question. What was the number of the .NET Rock show where we first did Better Know Framework? That's a great question. It's, it's been so long. It's been a long time. You're going to be, be blown the, away. Is it like in the 300s? You're close. 243. Wow. Yeah, we didn't even have a name for it. And then in 244, you named it Better Know Framework. <laughs> and then 245 went by. And then in 246, we that's when we actually introduced the music. Yes, yeah, when you grabbed on and really turned it into a thing. So since episode 246, that's almost a thousand episodes ago. I, that's what I'm saying. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and somebody tweeted me recently. This is how I know. Somebody tweeted me and said, hey, do you have a list of all the Better Know Frameworks? That would be really cool because, you know, it's a lot of work. Thanks. Bye. I was like, well, yeah, it's a lot of work. I don't want to do it either. But then I just started digging into it. How many actually are there? And uh, yeah, almost a thousand shows. Almost a thousand. Wow. So anyway. That's funny. But anyway, here's what I have today. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you know, there was this whole conspiracy theory about how the United States never went to the moon, right? Right. And that Apollo was staged in Hollywood. Yes. Stanley well, Kubrick was the director. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, apparently NASA had enough of that yeah. and decided to release something like 
oh, I don't know, 15,000 photos yes. from the Apollo mission and put it on Flickr in the Project Apollo archive. So you can go to ApolloPix, that's P-I-C-S, dot pwop dot me. And that's A-P-O-L-L-O-P-I-C-S dot pwop dot me. And you can see them all in their amazing glory. Oh, yeah. There you are. Gorgeous, too. Yeah. And they I also you- contain all of the pictures that make people make the conspiracy theorists question them. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, this, because when you're operating in no atmosphere and so forth, there are, there are different visual and environmental effects and things that could, that people can turn into, uh, this is all fake. Right. But it helps to have so many pictures and not carefully, you know, organized pictures just to look. There's and, a lot of pictures here. And they seem so random. That's what's crazy yeah. about it. So, you know, like they're just shooting off the, front of the ship or out one side and just click, 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 click. You know, the way that people actually on a trip would do. Right. That's <laughs> yeah, crazy. I know. You know, it's funny you mentioned, you mentioned Apollo too, because I've, I've been thinking more about what is it actually going to look like with humans going to Mars. And we forget about, everybody remembers Apollo 11. Yeah. Do you remember Apollo 10? No. Apollo 10, they took the lunar lander to the moon. They just didn't land it. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I know that. How many missions were there in Apollo? Uh, a dozen. Okay. But, you know, the, but it's just sort of this reality that the first time we send humans to Mars, they're not going to set foot on Mars, mm. right? They are, they're probably just going to, they might even just do a flyby. They might not even stop the way Apollo 8 did. Apollo 8 just went around the moon and came back, mm. right? Because you got to test all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and then I've also been looking at, at mission specs around things like landing on one of the moons, like Demios. Crazy. Yeah, or Phobos, you know, like the, the, it's just really going back and looking at Apollo and remembering there were guys who went to the moon, got in the lander, mm. flew it around, and then went back. They never landed. Right. <laughs> That's so <laughs> and nobody di- remembers. So disappointing. <laughs> you were right there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this is a lovely archive, and it's absolutely worth looking at. And there's, there's, there are pictures there you want as wallpaper. They're just so gorgeous. Absolutely. A lot of pictures of Earthrise, and uh, they're all black and white as far as I know. Oh, there's some color ones in there, too. Are there? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it's just because everything's gray on the moon. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, when you want to see any color, it has to be one of the astronauts or the lunar lander itself because yeah. it has gold foil and or stuff on it. Or the flag or yeah, the Earth. Very few pictures. They're, they're, all the pictures were taken in color. It's just uh, that space not terribly colorful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moon's kind of gray. Space kinda is kind of black. <laughs> it's also really interesting how bright it is yeah. in all of these photos. There's a few pictures you can actually see that it's actually quite dark gray. Um, I have my wallpaper on my Surface Book at the moment is a photo taken from the satellite Discover, mm-hmm. which is actually a helio uh, satellite. It's sitting in L1, so it's in the position between the Earth uh, and the um, and the Sun, the balancing point, the Lagrange point, yeah. and it's always facing the Sun. But the side effect of being between the Sun and the Earth means that the looking backward, it always has a full disk view of the Earth. Hmm. Which uh, is cool because it basically means we can have a picture of the look of the whole Earth all the time, just like those Apollo photos, you know, Earth rises stuff. Like actually seeing the whole Earth is not a, not a likely thing. But the photo I kept, the one that I use as my wallpaper, they happened to catch four pictures of the moon transiting across the Earth. Yeah. 
And so there's this photo. I have there's that as the earth in the background. Too. Yeah. And the, and the biggest thing I notice about that, A, it's the, it's the quote dark side of the moon, although it's fully lit because mm-hmm. that's where the sun is. Mm-hmm. And B, the moon is very dark gray. Mm. When actually contrasted against other things, when you're, when you're standing on it or when you're looking at it up in the sky and the sun shine and you're looking at the side, the, the solar reflection of it, it's quite a bit whiter, mm-hmm. but in its real colors, dark gray. Great pictures. That's what I got, brother. Awesome pictures, yeah. Just remind us amazing things that we've done. Who's talking to us today? Uh, grabbed a comment off of the geek out, uh, the artificial intelligence geek out, 1169. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many to choose from. This, you know, I've been, I've been having conversations in a bunch of the geek outs with folks that have been commenting back and stuff. There's lots of conversation going on there. Uh, and the artificial intelligence geek out was fun. Uh, not that they aren't all fun, but just that, you know, we played the game of how much of this is philosophy, how much of this is technology. Yeah. You know, it's really an interesting time in this particular space. And Chris Prosser had this great comment, and I bring it up because I should have outlined these ideas as clearly as he did in this message. Mm. He said, this is a great show. I've been interested in the subject for some time, and I found this a really well-balanced account. I find the topic of consciousness particularly interesting. Rather than thinking of this as a binary thing, I think of consciousness more of a spectrum of awareness. Miko Keiku, who's a scientist and, a, and a, one of those personalities, you know, he's like Bill Nye's science guy right. or, or uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Miko Keiku, you can find all kinds of videos stuff. I'm really cool guy. He's done some interesting work in this area, identifying what he calls the three levels of consciousness. Mm. And this is from his Future of the Mind book. Is that related to drinking? Yes. There are five <laughs> levels of Three levels of consciousness. Yeah. Three <laughs> levels of consciousness. So level one is in relation to space. So being able to take in sensory information and respond to it and recognize that parts of your body are visible to you and so mm-hmm. forth, right? Mm-hmm. And so, re, you know, there, there's one of these great demonstrations of the difference between a great ape and a monkey mm-hmm. where they, they manage to put paint on a monkey uh, without the monkey knowing it. Yeah. And then to show a, the mirror, show the monkey in a, a mirror so it can see itself and it thinks it's another monkey and tries to attack it. Huh. Where an ape, if you can mark him so, in some way and, you know, put in, they put paint on him, then they show him the mirror and the ape sees it, realizes it's him and reaches up and wipes the paint off. Wow. Right. Level one consciousness. Yeah. You're in your space and you can, you're able to have that ability to recognize what's you and, you know, what's real and so forth. The distinction think, between self and other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, level two is in relation to others and social interaction. So another thing you see in the stuff outside of humans and, uh, uh, you know, that certainly apes and dolphins and things have is this concept of family. Mm-hmm. And of groupings, you know, and, and with leadership and, and things like that. Mm. And then the level three is in relation to time. So being able to think about the future, imagine mm. future scenarios, think about where things came from, sort of that more metacognition part, which yeah. arguably only humans have. Mm. Although there was recently a piece in the news where a few countries now are declaring, uh, cetaceans sentient. And they're saying, C- yeah, they, they have rights. What's a cetacean? So cetacean would be dolphins and whales. Oh, okay. So, That's interesting. You know, it is interesting. And, and I mean, the question would be, how can you, how can you demonstrate a level three consciousness? You know, that's a really interesting experiment to sort of work through. Yeah. And of course, 
Uh, Chris goes on to mention, and this is another thing that, that, that Michio Kiku talks about, is uh, the concept of metacognition, our ability to think about thinking, mm-hmm. falling into an even higher level of consciousness. Uh, and we may be able to define that in more detail. But And there may be more beyond that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and maybe someday we'll have a, an artificial general intelligence that will help explain all this for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, uh, Chris, in simple, easy to understand language, right? Yes. What about thinking about thinking about thinking? There you go. Then then everything just happens really slowly. (laughs) Uh, And one of the reasons I bring up the whole AI thought is that um, Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and some of the folks from Y Combinator recently announced in the news that they are working on an open AI initiative with the goal of making artificial intelligence available to everybody. And they funded it to the tune of a billion dollars. Their concern is that AI is inevitable, and then if it's purely controlled by profit-driven corporations, yeah. it could become very dangerous yeah. for the rest of humanity. And so the only thing to fight an AI is a, a bad AI is a good AI. Mm. And so they want it, they're doing it all open source with the intent to give it away. They made it – it's a charity, 501c3. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, thank you so much for your comment. The .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. Plus. If you comment there, we read it. We'll send you a mug. So why don't we start for mere mortals with the the generally accepted definition of what smart homes <sighs> are. Well, the problem is that the term's evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm actually reading in places where people are saying, stop saying Internet of Things, start saying smart home. Which I think is is bizarre because the smart home is a way older term. But I realize it's a way older term to tech people, not to the general public. It's also sort of a subset of the whole Internet of Things. You would presume. Thing, which is not just about the home, right? I mean, it's about measuring data wherever it is in the world. Yeah. Just being able to instrument and measure things. And I think when you think of this, when you think of the problem that is, how do I create a smart home from a developer's mind space, you tend to go through this first I instrument, then I program. Mm. But again, I don't think regular people think that no. way. But if you go back into the sixties and seventies, even with technologies like X10, Folks have been building finicky little gadgets, essentially, to create some sense of smartness in their home for decades. It's just that the stuff is unreliable and it's unrelatable to everybody else. You know, my house, and you've been in it, runs – it runs the ragged edge of what my technically savvy family will tolerate. Right. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, there's a, there's a lot of technologies before digital that made our home smarter, just like light sensors and, sure. and, and clappers and things like that. All know? those kinds of things. Yeah. They just work. I found a great piece and I ended up spending way too much time watching and reading on it about the home of the future which was part of the Tomorrowland. At Disney World. Now, there's a new one in Disney World, but in Disneyland, 1957 to 1967. That's how old we're talking. Yeah. So the middle of the, of the post-war boom, building boom, all of that sort of thing. They, they built this thing they called the House of the Future. And for them at the time, the House of the Future was 1986. Wow. So before our children were born. That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, here's another here's another crazy thing. I went back and watched the first episode of The Jetsons. 
which I oh, loved no. when I was a kid. Did and, you really? Yeah. And, and it's just kind of amazing at how much of that stuff is actually commonplace. And I don't yeah. mean flying cars and, no. you know, but, you know, talking robots. Sure. Yep. We got them. Sure. Yeah. To a degree. To a degree. You know? So here you you want, let me tell you about this house house of the future for 1986. Okay. A the company that funded it was Monsanto. Oh boy. Wonder now why in the world would Monsanto fund a house of the future? Well, what were they doing back then? Well, they were still in agriculture, and and believe me, I'm well in the work of the agricultural shows and stuff. They're coming up in 2016. Yeah. But they had a plastics division, and the focus of this house of the future was building with plastic. Of course it was. And at the time, nobody had used plastic structurally at all. So they actually had to develop and research an awful lot of stuff. Mm. Uh, how much of it becomes relevant? Because, you know, using plastic as a structural building material, while it's certainly strong enough, it has, let's say, um, bad fire characteristics. Yeah. Right? So right. that that didn't really go anywhere. But here, some of the things that were in the house that you can probably relate to, um, vinyl flooring mm-hmm. was new and innovative in 1957. Yeah. Melamine countertops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of these different, the fact that plastic doesn't have to have straight angles. In fact, yeah. it's, it, you know, you could make it any shape you want. So it's a lot more curvy, soft structures. Right. This is the 19, you know, late 1950s, 1960s. So the, the, the Jetson kind of thing is sure. very in. It's also the first time most people had ever seen a microwave oven. Yep. They had an ultrasonic dishwasher because all of the dishes were plastic, so you could use ultrasonics to clean them. Hmm. And there was three refrigerator-like devices. They called them cold spaces. There was one for – that was a, what you would consider a regular-type refrigerator. It literally came out of a cabinet, dropped down. There was a freezer one, and there was one specifically for irradiated foods. Wow. Ben, this is – this is bef- the early stages of the Cold War, right? right? Everybody believed in atomics and mm-hmm. – and, uh, yeah, they were going to have their own. I'll, I'll include a link to the YouTube videos of this thing. But other things that, that was a little less offensive to us <laughs> in this day and age, um, light diffusion and dimming. So they use, you can use, one of the things that plastic can do is diffuse light. Before mm-hmm. then, it was just point source lighting. And so it was quite harsh. Right. So the idea that you could put up a plastic root ceiling and shine light through it so it's diffuse and you could dim it. That was a very innovative concept for the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they had things like, uh, the, the kitchen was the center of the house. Mom was able to look into the rooms to see where all the kids were and that kind of thing. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of the same kinds of electronics that we're sort of doing today, although it's just lovely to see it in big tubes and that sort of yeah. retro tech of the time. Very idealistic. I mean, and that, the funny part is in 1967, when they shut that down, they couldn't destroy it. It was so sturdily built because they were experimenting with plastic that the, any conventional means of, of taking it apart didn't work. In the end, they had to send in crews with power saws and cut the thing into pieces to mm. get rid of it. You know, I'm, I, I'm coming back to the Jetsons here. Sure. But the, the funny thing is, is that even though we have some of this technology, we don't use it like they did in the Jetsons, no. right? I mean, we have the ability to do Skype calls and conferences and stuff so we have the video phone right the yep we the, do it, it exists it exists but do we we don't really use it like like we thought we would use it it turns out it's easier and faster to send a text or just a simple phone call than you know negotiate when and where a video has to take place it's it requires more of us and so well, I, I, think, I think that people don't use it as much for that reason 
I think the futurists back then didn't clue into this idea that attention would be so valuable. Yeah. I mean, why don't we do video conferencing? Because actually getting us both to stop long enough to pay attention to each other mm. is really hard to do. Mm. The asynchronicity of text messages and things like that mm. is more in keeping with our current lifestyle. Related to this whole conversation, I found Isaac Asimov's paper. It was published in the New York Times in 1964 at the New York City World's Fair. And he projected 50 years in the future, so 2014. And he talked about things like glowing ceilings and walls and, 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 and so forth, uh, automated driving, uh, all appliances being cordless because they were going to run on radioisotope batteries. Okay. That didn't happen. Um, the inability of agriculture to keep up with a population of six and a half billion people, which he underestimated. We were over seven billion by then. And yeah. agriculture clearly has kept up, you know, stay tuned for that geek out. Um, but the big one was automation was going to take over all the work. So by 2014, we'd all be bored. Well, and you know, that's an interesting one because in many ways it has. I mean, uh, the automation of manufacturing processes has yes. really, really happened. It and I don't mean, uh, and, and software is responsible for automating tasks that people did by hand. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. And yet we're not bored. No. <laughs> we're so far from bored. We're now talking about our children are being harmed by their lack of boredom. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, you know, it's what's hard to envision way in the, from the past coming forward is just how connected we would all be yeah. and how much information would be around and this idea that, that we'd be perpetually competing for attention. I think it's an incredibly difficult thing. Yeah. And when you think about building a home, you know, the ideal home, we think far more about things like minimizing interruption, right. minimizing distractions, right. you know, those kinds of things. Having a safe respite from the rest of the From the rest world. of the world. Yeah. You know, folks ask me about how I designed this house and my, my thought was, well, I travel for work. My home is the vacation. Right. And it's about exactly that, convenience mm. and low friction. Mm about all those kinds of things. Uh, just, to, just to finish off poor old Isaac Asimov, not to make fun of everything he got wrong because <laughs> he got a lot right. He also said we'd be communicating routinely with, with colonies on the moon and that we'd have housing underwater because we were running out of space. Hmm. None of those things actually came true, but hmm. you know that's fine. It is interesting to look at how, and I didn't want to go too far into this, Overall in this show, just the technological advancements in houses in general that have to do more with stuff like smart grid. Um, I think solar panels are going to become super commonplace. Not only are they getting way cheaper, but I've been watching two solar panel technologies that I think will be huge in housing. Mm -hmm. One is these peel and stick solar panels. So basically, after you put your roof on, you stick this these film solar panels directly to that surface and wire them up. Wow. So you don't need all the framing and things like that. So, you know, it's very powerful, inexpensive way to put it on. Are they efficient? Um, they're not as efficient as the rigid ones, mm -hmm. but they're cheap. Right. So, you know, that's the, the bigger thing here is how do you make it a routine part of your build as opposed to something specialized? Yeah. And we've also done the show on DC lighting and so forth. So sure. I don't want to dive deeply into that, yeah, but yeah. you know, solar and DC lighting sort of go hand in hand mm -hmm. in the new, in the more modern, smarter home. The other uh, solar technology I've been paying close attention to came out of uh, University of Michigan, which is completely transparent solar panels. Huh. So 
solar panels as windows. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Again, it's like you stop having – what if you start thinking smart house, you're just thinking house. Right. Well, what about solar shingles? Did they ever take off? Well, yeah, there's there's technology out there like that, and – they have pluses and minuses. The more pieces you have, the more things go wrong, and shingles are relatively small. Mm. So how do you fit them all together and keep them working reliably mm. and so forth? Mm-hmm. That uh, and, and solar panels still look like solar panels, yeah. right? I mean, for better or worse. And so if you're going – when you pay – you know, cedar shingles are expensive now. <laughs> cedar pay shingles. pay for a shingle, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to asphalt shingle, right? So, are you going for a look? You don't want to cover up with uh, with a solar panel, right? So that's why I think the wood, the glass ones. You think about how much glass is in my house. Yeah, if those could all be collecting electricity as well, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's pretty, that'd be pretty it. amazing. Another area of tech I think is interesting in the more advanced house is the uh, is water reclamation, reclaiming used water. So gray water, uh, roof drain water, just this whole, I think we're seeing this more and more in houses. They basically tanks outside that uh, can do some processing on your water and use it for non-potable means. Right. You know, when water was, in, you think about back to the 60s and stuff, when water was so plentiful, right. not that it's actually gone away, but, you know, it's it's more expensive to retrieve. We just went for all water is potable. You can drink anything. You can drink out of the hose. Mm-hmm. This idea that you would use drinking water for just drinking and cooking and cleaning, and then every other use of water, you don't have to have drinkable water for that. Right. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, watering the lawn with reclaimed water or, uh, you know. Absolutely. Or your, or your washing vegetable cars. garden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's becoming more relevant. And this is, again, there are other shows in this space to just talk about managing water more efficiently. But you look at some of the technologies becoming available in houses. Um, we're seeing more and more of this infrastructure upgrade to your house, that your power systems are smarter, that your water systems are smarter, that your heating systems are smarter. One thing that, uh, you know, my house is, nah, I don't know, it's not that old. It was built in 1989, but, you know, it has this big Buderis, you know, water heater and furnace, right? It's right. like the old school stuff. And what I wanted to do was get, uh, I like the insincorator idea, the idea that the water is cold until it hits the sink, then goes to a really hot coil and you get instant hot water and you're yes. not spending a lot of energy heating it up. And, 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 and storing it unnecessarily. And storing right? it unnecessarily, right? Keeping it hot. Uh, and you're also seeing that for heating systems now too, heating and cooling systems. Rather than having central heat and central cooling with all that pipe work and complexity, what if you could have a small box that sort of fits underneath a window mm. that's able to do the heating and cooling for a given room? Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of inherently you have granular heating and cooling per room. So I think those are, are interesting advances. In well, they space. have these um, sort of smaller outdoor uh, HVAC systems that then you go through the wall and have a little vent and that kind of stuff. You see those in restaurants and things like that. Yeah. Because uh, they're easy to, to implement. I, I'm, I, and I don't want to sidetrack again because we have a lot of smart home, but I'm still loving the geothermal idea. And, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk some more about that in the future. I'm, sure. I'm looking into, uh, geothermal for cooling for replacing my AC. Yeah, yeah. It, it costs money. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Oh, it's the happiest time of the year. 
You know why? <laughs> why? We'll have to announce the winner of the $5,000 shopping spree. Woohoo! We're doing it. We're finally doing it. But before I tell you who won, oh, Dev Express is going to love me for this spot. <laughs> Become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best, without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. For the big one, who's our winner? The winner is... Elizabeth Groom. Ah, congratulations, Elizabeth. Golf clap for you. A huge round of applause for Elizabeth Groom. Elizabeth, are you there? I am. And you're from Dubuque, Iowa, right? Yep. Is that anywhere near Dubuque, Saskatchewan? (laughs) (laughs) No, nowhere near. My uh, my father's family traces lineage back to Dubuque, Saskatchewan, where you can watch your dog run away for three days. Kind of flat. Wow. <laughs> so, Not the same place. So I was impressed at how quickly you got back to us when you when you got the email. Did you think we were Nigerian scammers? Uh, yes, absolutely. But I thought, well, what the heck? I can reply. He already has my email address, and then. Well, what the heck? You can have my shipping address. I was, I was waiting for you to ask for a thousand dollars to uh, um, yeah. pay for the items, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's real. It's really exciting. Right, we'll send all this to you as soon as you se- you can secure our bank transaction, yada yada, <laughs> with a credit card. Yeah, sure. So, um, tell us what you got. Um, so, um, I did a couple of, uh, music related things. I'm a big swimmer. So I got a bone conducting MP3 player, which means that I can listen to it underwater. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. And then, uh, Bluetooth speakers and a speaker that'll hook onto my bike, uh, for biking. And then, um, a bunch of home automation stuff was basically the, the rest of it. Other than, of course, the really cool Surface Pro. Uh, Surface Pro 4 that I'm really excited about. Yeah. And you got one for you and one for Hub, right? Yep, one for my husband. My husband's in the technology field too, so I, I couldn't possibly leave him out. And what do you do at uh, your company there, Cartograph? Um, I'm a software engineer. Uh, we work in the .NET stack and uh, JavaScript. That's awesome. How long have you been listening to the show? Oh, man. Uh, maybe five years, ever since I learned that it existed. Oh, cool. <laughs> and uh, you've been a member of the fan club for about that long, too? Yep. Oh, that's great. Pays off. Yeah. Richard and I are doing a show here on home automation. What are you using your, what do you hope to, to do? What's the end goal with your home automation system? Um, well, some of it security, you know, uh, are the doors opening when I don't expect them to be? Some of it uh, peace of mind. Did I close the garage door or didn't I? Um, and then um, some fun stuff like, um, you know, dimming lights with voice commands and, and things like that. Awesome. Yeah, and I noticed you included an Amazon Echo in your list of goodies, which is, I think is a very cool device. I'm just wondering if we can get to a place where that ties into your home as well, because it's such a good voice recognition device. 
Yeah, it actually um, right now hooks in with the Smart Things Hub. Right. So um, we can uh, use that to control some of the Smart Things, and of course the Hue lights and everything. So yeah, yeah I just imagine this technology is going to get better and better. Yeah, we're definitely still in early stages right now, but there's a lot of moving parts to try and get all this to glue together. But to have the Smart Things Hub combined with that Amazon Echo, you're starting to get a feel for the 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 real voice communicating home. And I love this thought that you really just want to instrument the house, that you want to know what's going on in it uh, right to your phone or your tablet. Yep, absolutely. Well, what would you tell people who are on the fence about signing up for the .NET Rocks fan club? Well, of course, sign up. It's worth it. <laughs> it was painless, right? Yes. And beware of the, those Nigerian princes. But, you know, right. Carl and Richard are the real deal. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you so much and good luck in the future. Thank you so much. You're entirely welcome. My favorite part of the show. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was just the most fun I've had all year. Yep, yeah. Wait all year to do that. Now it's done. Here it is. Sorry for everybody who didn't win. I know that, you know, picking one winner in 8,000 is kind of, you know, you make 7,999 enemies in one friend. So <laughs> we know it's kind of dangerous, but, you know, hang in there. You'll, you'll win. And, and how convenient that Elizabeth wanted a, a smart home system. Yep. And it really focuses on this idea of what a modern smart home looks like. So let's get into definitions. Okay. Because I would argue that the smart home that we actually want does not exist. Okay. That today we're really in a place that you could call the connected home. Yeah. So devices that communicate to you and, you know, maybe via the cloud, but don't necessarily speak to each other. Mm. A smart home needs devices that really talk to each other. But, you know let's pick on the Nest. I think the Nest thermostat is a beautiful work of art, a remarkable piece of technology, mm -hmm. way smarter than we even realize, which is what we want, right. right? I mean, we've had Intel, quote unquote, intelligent thermostats, even going back to that Monsanto host of the future, they talked about this intelligent thermostat. But nobody thinks about your thermostat right you you can go in and program times for a turn the temperature down here to up there so forth you know today you could get even with a nest you could have it could be automatically turning down your temperature during the day and then on your way home you decide oh i'm coming home early you know turn on the cooling now but yeah. i don't think about that you don't think about right. that right when i think about a smart home i think a you know as a, a connected device like a Nest is able to figure out my patterns that I normally do yeah. and say, okay, well, during the day, the house is unoccupied, so we're going to let the temperature drop or, or stop cooling it. But they normally get home around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so at 3, I'll start adjusting the temperature back to where they want it to. Yeah. Except one day, you come home at noon. Right. Now, if you're dealing with a connected home, if you remember, you could tell the Nest, hey, adjust the temperature now, I'm on my way, right? right? There's right. a remote connection. Sure. But a smart home would be the Nest in contact with the car saying, hey, you're headed home. Or just a occupancy sensor when you're inside the house, anything. Yeah, well, by the time you're already there, yeah. that's fine, right? It's the trick is, can I, can I anticipate need mm. rather than respond the moment stuff happens? Mm. Although occupancy sensors are very challenging. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not easy to actually figure out if a room is occupied. Well, yeah, with the right technology, you can, but, you know. The, the what connect, technology would that be? I'm thinking the Connect. 
You know, the connect, the, con- the connect, the Microsoft Connect, even the yes. earliest one can sense that there are people. Yes. And that's really all you want to know. You don't need to know a whole lot about them, but are there people in here? Yes. And, you know, it has false positives sometimes, but not often. I like the idea of the connect being able to map each room because not only could you tell whether or not there's somebody in that room, you probably know who they were. Yeah. Because you can recognize their form well enough. And you can even have a pretty good guess at what they were doing. You know, I, I ran that, uh, idea balloon up in my house. I floated that one around and it quickly got popped. Well, yeah. Because it comes down to the same old thing. There's a camera in every room. Yeah. And people don't like cameras in their rooms. Nope. Nope. Right? And you know, would you be able to rent out your house on Airbnb if there were cameras in every room? Yeah. No. I don't think I so. I say no. That'd be a problem. But she made, made whole movies about that kind of creepiness. Yeah. So, you know, it's always, it's always a problem. So we are definitely in the connected home space, right? We're starting to have appliances and devices now that think in terms of connecting up the home, mm. right? They, and, and really, you can almost do it from a room-by-room room basis. Like, in some ways, the living room is the easiest of the bunch, right? Because that's the one with the entertainment system. We've got great technology around that. You know, that just continues to evolve. Uh, I, I'm finding now... I still have a, a big cache of TV shows and things like that in my PVR that I use um, via Plex. Yeah. But most people are living off of Netflix now. Well, yeah, and that's it. I think the living room has changed. I don't. I think the living room is less used in America today than it was even five years ago. And sure. I blame Netflix and uh, all of that stuff. So, you know, people in my house anyway, they just – Go to their rooms, open up their laptops, and watch a video. Or they and sit down they on the do. couch yeah. or wherever they are, the dining room yeah. table. Yeah. Everybody has a screen with them now. Yeah. That's just not the big a deal. Yep. Uh, I also think – so. The, and the kitchen's where – I mean, it's always the magic, right, of the most automa- – the, the most complex automation we could do in the house is going to be the kitchen. Yeah. But, you know, to make that ha- – the, the, goal number one, can I digitally tell – What's in my fridge and how much of things are in the fridge. Yeah. So I was looking at a company that's making for a few pennies, an ultrasonic sensor that lives in a milk jug cap. <laughs> it's able to ping down into the milk and see how much milk is actually in the jug. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think about it, it but they, you know, all right, we put RFID tags on Is this on really all a problem, Richard? Is this, I, I can't hold my tongue anymore. Why are these technologies, uh, you know, trying to make our lives more convenient and just cluttering things up? Is it, are that, they, are they, is it that difficult to, op- to when you open the fridge, you look and see, oh, we need more milk, and then just go get milk? I'm serious. Right. I just don't get it. But this is still about efficiency, right? I'm on the way home, and the fridge knows I need more milk. Or more relevantly, it just shows up on my doorstep that my fridge can do its own ordering. What if I don't want more milk? What if I'm going away for a week? Well, you would think that a part of a smart home would actually know your schedule well enough to know I shouldn't be ordering. Yeah, uh, I just feel like it's adding more work to my already massive load. Only if it's done badly. Yeah, which it most 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 of the time it is. The, well, the whole point here, if we're actually going to do this correctly, is this should be seamless. We yeah. shouldn't have to think about it at all. But, you know, you're a developer. So right away, you're thinking through just how hard a programming problem it is to manage everything in a fridge. 
But once you have that data, it's interesting to think in terms of what recipes are possible based on what's in the fridge. Yeah. As well as what's actually being consumed. You know, get back to the instrumentation of people. Here's the number of calories flowing through this house every week. <laughs> right? Who's eating what? Yeah. I'll th- I, this is not even the creepy part, dude. Wait till you start talking about some of the stuff that's going into the bathroom. <laughs> well, I already know about that. The, the intelligent toilets that actually every time you pee measure your blood sugar level. Yeah, that would be helpful. Right. That, well, it gets better than that. When you sit down, it's able to measure your weight, figure out your BMI, even figure out your blood pressure. So, you know, these are not inexpensive toilets, by the way. No, and those so, are, those are all anything that's, you know, taking your vital signs is probably a good thing. But, you know, some of, some of this stuff, I just, uh, I, I, we think differently. Let's put it that way. Well, and I'm not saying I necessarily want these things, but if you're going to think through these problems, this is an area where you can think. Yeah, that's right? true. And there's going to be no end to the kinds of things that you can get. I mean, let's face it. Look, at, you ever seen Alton Brown's list of completely horrible kitchen gadgets? Oh, yes. All right. This is me. I'm Alton Brown, right? And I'm looking at all these things as like, you know, they're probably gadgety, gimmicky things that people could sell and a lot of people will buy. But how often are they going to be used? And And what's wrong with just, you know, Going to the supermarket, shopping, coming home, cooking, blah blah blah. I mean, I I I, I don't want to turn this into a rant because this you is just have. my personal opinion. Yeah, no, so you're I'll doing st- a good I'll luddite stop, impression. I'll here. stop right here. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, you know, again, thinking broadly about, we all have this intent to eat better. Yeah, right. Intent to follow a particular diet. How could the house actually help us do that? Right. That actually know what food we should be ordering, what recipes we should be making to make it can, you know, there's now services today where you can actually have a chef prep all the stuff for you so that you can eat this particular diet without having to learn it in great detail. Because mm-hmm. that takes time and energy. Mm. Right. People are trying to be more conservative on it. One of the areas I think most people aren't even aware of is some of the technology that's going into the bedroom around the bed. Mm hmm. There's a company called BodyTrack that makes a smart bed that actually measures how well you're sleeping in real time and adjusts the bed on the fly. That's pretty neat. Now, how would it adjust the bed? Would it, you know? So it's actually, it's part, it's a mattress pad and the mattress. It changes the pressure levels in different parts of the mattress. Mm. So it can actually show when you're getting uncomfortable Mm. and reduce and, you know, adjust. If you're too cold, warm the bed up. If you're too hot, cool the bed down, change pressure levels so that you don't have hot spots. Like it's very interesting. I like that idea. There's a company called eight sleep that makes a mattress pad. That's actually measuring your health at the same time. They can measure your heart rates Mm. and so forth. So not only know how well you slept by how much you moved around, but what your overall health is just from being in the bed. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you'd sort of take that, toilet mechanism that's measuring your output literally i read the documents just saying <laughs> we meet her output it's like okay thanks very much for that <laughs> and then measuring quality of sleep with these intelligent beds and even better being able to improve that sleep and then when you throw in the kitchen equation of are we eating the right things are we eating the right way are we getting in the right places you know these are the things that smart homes can really do for mm. us right is is making sure we're living the healthiest life and catching on to when we're not so you open the door you reach for the cake and a voice goes ah 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 yeah why why would there be cake there <laughs> there should not be cake there and the smart home says oh are you looking for the cake i destroyed yes. it 
That cake's you already gone. We got rid of that. Eating that. There's no cake. There. There <laughs> that'll is no be cake. that'll be ten dollars, please. <laughs> nice. You know the other aspect where it gets interesting with a smart home and you get in this whole occupancy sensor thing is this idea of like appliances that only run when you're not present, right? Yeah. Like the uh, the these uh, Roombas, these automated vacuums, right? Yep. The most common robot today is this bloody Roomba. Right. It it would be great if it only ran when there's nobody in the house. Sure. Right. But it, you don't want the you don't want the ro- pay for the Roomba to be able to do room detection. You want it to be able to integrate with the overall house right. to know. Oh, the house is not occupied. I can run the Roomba around. Right. So you want to be able to hook up occupancy sensors to uh, a, some system where that is just a generic input. Right. And then the Roomba can read that input from the system and know that you're not there so it can clean the room. It can, it's now able to do that. And then again, it gets into appliances, you know, resources within the house, smart talking to each other. Yeah. And this is, these are all programming problems. So again, our regular audience and you and I, we just don't think it's a big deal. Right. But for everybody else, it's, you know, stunningly, uh, how, do, how do we make that work? And and you keep thinking about these things like we need a hub of some kind that, that orchestrates all of this. Uh, and there's all these competing standards going on right now. Like everybody's trying to standardize everything to try and make all that work together. Uh, you try to work with the power company to have standard ways of measuring how much power it costs so that appliances run when the power is less expensive and uh, you know, if you're using a DC lighting system with a power backup for it, you just go, Hey, come off the grid right now because we're under high load and, uh, uh, and run, run off your batteries for now, right? Use your power wall for that. The way Tesla is offering that technology, you, know, you want the, all of that intelligence and it requires standards that, that they're just not getting to. You know, it's always the same thing. XKCD did this great cartoon about this 15 standards we should all unify them so we come up with a unified standard now there's 16 standards yeah there there isn't a, a single right way to do this uh, and there's a real question of whether it should be a hub at all could it all just be peer-to-peer hmm. so i was look uh, you know i was looking at what are the sort of core things we can count on like for instance smartphones now I think that this this sort of safe thing, if we're just talking about the Western world, right. pretty much everybody in your house has a smartphone up to once they get to a certain age, at least. And so that's one way. I mean, talk about occupancy sensor. The one thing you probably have on you is your phone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as you see the phone moving around, you probably know who that is. Yeah. And that's a pretty good interface to all your devices. You know, when I did the um, the build of this house in 2008, 2009, I put stuff in the walls. And that seems foolish now mm-hmm. why would you put a display on a wall right when the phone is what you want to control everything with anyway right yeah we used to think about that um putting putting uh you know ipad like things on the wall to control stuff but you're right i don't I, I want it just on my phone it's easier yeah you want it on your phone maybe you want it on a tablet right i now have my the music system in my house because i have a certain number of neighbors that are very particular about music more particular than i am and so i configured a tablet for controlling the cue of music when we're having a party in my backyard yeah. so i can hand it to that person go here knock yourself out right don't complain <clears throat> change the music yourself have you um looked into sort of the latest in home robots like 21 or Honda's Asimo or any of those guys. I, I've been watching those things for years, but they don't do anything. They don't really do anything. Yeah, you know, and, and what's you know, there is something that Asimov got right. 
In that 1964 piece, he said, yes, by 2014, there will be some robots, but they won't do much. Yeah. And he sort of nailed it, right? <laughs> I mean, other than the Roomba. Yeah. Name me a robot that does something useful. Right. You know, uh, you, you see a lot of these things in universities, right? And MIT, yeah. for example, they're, they're very highly specialized. And ro- specialized robots have been around forever. And, you know, the Roomba is just sort of the home extension of that, right? But, you know, a general purpose robot that walks around your house and, like, does laundry and does a dishes. A Rosie. And, yeah, a Rosie. Give me a Rosie. It's a really a long way off. A really a hard problem. It's a really I mean, hard problem. Asimo moves great. And God knows how much this thing costs. Yeah. $100,000? Right. So, shouldn't it be able to put clothes in a washing machine, take them out and fold them? Like, the, we just take that stuff for granted. Right, it's right. how hard it is. Right? There was a, a breakthrough robot that could fold shirts. And I, I think I showed a video of this or talked about it on one of the other podcasts. I can't remember. Do you remember seeing this video? It could yeah. actually fold shirts, and this was like a wonderful thing. But it had to be sitting in the right place. The shirts had to be in front of it. Like, you know, the, the input has to be in a specific format. That's the problem with the real world. It's random. Well, and uh, and there's the Baxter robot. That was the one, Baxter. Yeah. 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 And, well, Baxter's continued to evolve, but they, Baxter can do all kinds of interesting things. But mm-hmm. he, 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 what he doesn't do is walk around. Right. But uh, the most important, he looks like an industrial robot in the sense that he has arms and so forth. Mm. But the main thing that Baxter has over every other industrial robot is that it can see people and not hurt them. Right. It has safety mechanisms built in. Yeah. So that you, you can bump into it and stuff. You could actually have a Baxter in your house. Yeah. And it's not outrageously priced. That thing's like 50 grand, mm. right? I mean, that's expensive. It's it's not, you know, when you start thinking of it in terms of labor multiplier, right. it's it's the it's the cost of of uh, a you know a worker an annual annual wage of a decent worker except that it'll work twenty four hours a day. Do we will really want electronic slaves? Is this where we're going to? <sighs> what? How do you make that? How do, how do you call that a slave? Well, you right? know, isn't because your, isn't your smartphone a slave? I then? suppose it is, right? I mean, but you know, the, the a humanoid thing that does human stuff that humans don't want to do is kind of so you're anthropomorphizing kinda, the yeah, robot, projecting. Then. Uh, humanality onto this walking thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's probably something that we'll have to talk there's about a, there's a, down the road. Yeah. Uh, well, you get into this problem of sentience. Right, thing, right, right. So there's a BBC TV show called Humans that is about life when you have humanoid robots that are able to do the laundry and the dishes and so forth right. and look human. Yeah. Uh, and and I won't spoil the story. It's well, it's you know, it's a typical BBC. It's like nine episodes. It was stunningly good. Yeah, yeah. And and just sort of grabbed you into this idea of what if they were sentient. Mm-hmm. So the the big issue we sort of walked around so far is the programming problem, right? Right. And I, and I struggle with it back and forth because of course as devs were like, ah, I'll just write the code for this. But how do we make this work for everybody? Yeah. You know how how we really make this feasible? And it, you, you've played with if this then that. Sure. Right. Which is a, I mean, that's a tool that a lot of people can get their head around. Yep. So the MIT labs and specifically their fluid interface lab has sort of taken if this, then that to the next level with a thing they call reality editor. Hmm. So again, as a dev, you can, you can see right away what they're doing when you see the videos of reality editor on devices. 
they have tags. They look vaguely like QR code tags. Then they're taking out your smartphone running this reality editor app, and it sees the tag and recognizes the device. So the demonstration they do is they have a knob sitting on a countertop, on a, on a desktop, hmm. and they have a lamp. They're both tagged. Mm-hmm. And they, they take their smartphone, they sort of look at the, at the knob, and it recognizes the knob and so forth, and then they draw a line from that knob to that lamp on their smartphone. Right. And that creates a connection. And now when they had turned the knob, the light goes on up and down. Huh. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And so th- what, what I like about this is a very n- simple, if this, then that kind of set of interfaces. Yep. Right? That you can, you, you know, think of all the problems we're getting rid of with this approach to sure. interfacing. The fact that you can identify a device, you bring a, house in, a device into the house you show it to real- the reality editor app, right away it's going to register it into the house. This is a device in the house now. Well, and it, it has to be connected, obviously, because it has to be controllable. So you, well, bring it, so you bring a device into the house, you connect it to your smart grid, your generic smart home grid, and then this Now, thing I would hope over. that it would do that automatically, that you looking at it with reality editor, it would go, hey, this is in the, it would walk you through that process. See, we just take for granted that we would be able to register a device. I want well, anybody to be able to register Well, yeah, a but your house has to have some smarts, like your, the, in other words, that socket has to be controllable that it's plugged into because it needs to be turned on and off. And so how, how does the reality editor know all, all about that? You know, assuming that all that stuff is in place, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. You need a common set of protocols. This might be Bluetooth. It might be Wi-Fi. I pro- I'm, I'm leaning more towards Wi-Fi just because the chipsets are getting cheap yeah, and everybody's Bluetooth got it. Bluetooth really sucks, doesn't it? Bluetooth has its own set of problems. Yeah. There's a new Bluetooth technology coming down the pipe called Bluetooth Mesh, yep. which is supposed to address some of this. Yeah. I'm just cynical, you yeah. know, just because we've – been it's you know the only upside to bluetooth is that the cheap chipsets are even cheaper the power consumption is lower app developers don't understand bluetooth and how it impacts their apps though i'm uh, just having more than two bluetooth devices that are connectable to your phone yeah. causes weird problems with all of them absolutely you know, it's just but again that's still thinking like a dev right we sh- this stuff should become transparent yep, it should just work it should just work, and it, it really doesn't. Yeah. Even think about lighting that way. Like, why do we have light switches? Yep. If each of our lights has access to Wi-Fi, then we should be able to just do common programming for all of them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the, you get into the occupancy sensor, you get into the lights. They're all running DC LED, so they're very low power. Yeah. But just moving into a space is enough for a light to turn on. And if you whip out your phone or your tablet, you should be able to speak to the lights, create your scenes, like do the lighting the way, however way you want. Yep. This idea that we wire them to switches, it's just archaic. It certainly is. I mean, it works because it's a simple switch, right? It's a- but it's only because we trained people to understand yeah. it, right? Yeah. You know, your kid doesn't come, doesn't show up knowing that it should turn lights. Yeah, kids today probably be more uh, in tune to what's on their tablet, their their phone, than what's on the wall. But this combination of sensorizing everything, you know, that everything is measurable, everything's got an IP address essentially, and it can speak to a common set of protocols, so that then you take something like Reality Editor and be able to connect them together. Mm-hmm. The, Take the data from that each of these different devices, whether they're in the bedroom or in the bathroom or in the living room and so forth, they're all able to speak to each other and we can bridge them together. And I think the car, 
at least for now, until we stop owning cars ourselves and just automated driving, yeah. is going to needs is really kind of an extension of your house, and it needs a relationship in this as well. Yep. Yep. Hey, do you remember this when we first started .NET Rocks? There was a tool. I think it was one that you had on Good Toy, Bad Toy, or Richard the Toy Boy, whatever it was. That um, was a system that went in your car and connected to your home Wi-Fi, and then it copied uh, music from your hard drive at home onto the hard drive in the car, and then yeah, you were able to that. play it in the car. Yeah, it was. And it, it, I mean, it wasn't a real complicated idea. It's right? a great it was this idea. idea. Yeah, that, that when your when your car went into your home Wi-Fi range, mm. it just synced a folder. Yep. Right. Yeah. Nothing more than that. I've never, and that was years and years and years ago. I bet that product just doesn't exist anymore. Right, but it's still a great idea, you know. If you if if you want, if you're the kind of person that you know has a collection of music yes. anymore, um, most people don't. Yeah, well, they're all using the Spotify's and Netflixes of the world, right? Yeah. But I do like the idea of a, a common shared folder for the house, and yeah. stuff like music could live in it and just sort of rove around with it. Yep. We think differently, right? Yep. This is not what normal people think about. And it's still just too complicated to get any of this. So coming around to this idea that right now in the regular mortal space, folks are starting to say, don't think Internet of Things, think smart home. Right. And tech people go, well, we've been had smart homes for forever. Internet of Things is the new thing. But it's it's not the way the rest of the world perceives this. Sure. sure. So we are in a transitory period right now. The challenge of managing things like power consumption, uh, you know, and go back to our smart grid show uh, to, to sort of dig into that and, and how appliances all interrelate with these things. Imagine that, that reality editor. And then when you pan across any of your appliances, they just appear on that equation as well. Yeah. This is a really, really a really good time to caution the user, especially, you know, the, the casual user about security in the home. In the smart home because... Yes, yeah, so if you want to have some fun, search for hacked smart toilet on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> you just don't think of what people can do if they're just outside in your driveway or passing by and yep. they have the right tools. They can make your life miserable. So um, we on, on the one of the first Internet of Things shows that we did on .NET Rocks with Clemens Fasters, he, he gave us a, a an always-do list. And one of them was always have your devices, your sensors only be clients, have them connect to something. Don't allow things to connect to them. And, you know, you can still uh, operate this network and make multiple connections. It's just that the way that um, the networking goes, you want them outgoing connections only so that you don't have all these attack vectors. And then, you know, obviously things that, can communicate with the with the network go through uh you know specialized gateway for that so yeah you need to be able to turn lights off and on yeah. so, so if you're out there shopping be... for stuff and you see all this you know connect to your whatever your your furnace with your smartphone eh i wouldn't do that if you can if you're really talking about connecting directly to it yeah that's what i got buddy all right good stuff and uh, congratulations again to Elizabeth Groom. And, you know, go sign up for the .NET Rocks fan club. Yeah, for sure. And uh, keep it, let us know what you think. Smart Homes was one of those terrible topics that it just covers so many different things. We cut off a niche of it and talked about it today. 
but there's obviously more. Uh, write some comments on the show. You might get a mug. Yep. And certainly we'll have more conversations about this because it is a moving target. Definitely. Can't wait to see what the comments are. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Thanks a lot. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a